The time is now. Volume 2, Episode 28. This is Employment Law Now, and I am your host, Mike Schmidt. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. I want to wish everybody a very happy President's Day 2018. If you're one of these folks who are lucky enough to be off and have a three-day weekend, maybe you've been sitting around all day today on President's Day, and you've had your fill of TV or movies, you've read all the papers, you've gone through all of your emails and you're thinking to yourself, well, what do I do now? Well, here we are, Employment Law Now, episode 28. I'm here to give you something to listen to, something to do for the next half hour or so, and I think this is a real interesting topic that I'll be talking about today. Do you feel like it's hard to enjoy the moment sometimes because you're always thinking about and planning things out six months ahead? I know I definitely struggle with that all the time. And while there is this need to be able to live in the moment, and we all should be striving toward the ability to live in the moment a little more than we do, sometimes it is kind of a good idea and smart to actually look ahead and plan ahead. So we are coming up to the summer of 2018, I guess. We're still in the middle of February here, but we're coming up to the summer in certain respects. It means a lot of things to a lot of people when you talk about the summer, but one of those is that many of your companies will be having summer internships. So as you're starting to plan those summer internships now, there are some real interesting developments that I think you should keep in mind as you're thinking about it. And the biggest issue that comes up when we talk about summer internships, or really internships any time of the year, is whether you're going to pay those interns any money. We know that statutes like the FLSA, the Fair Labor Standards Act, on the federal level require certain minimum wage and certain overtime obligations to be met, but statutes like the FLSA and most other corresponding state and local statutes only apply to employees. So if you're not an employee, for example, if you're an independent contractor, or if you are truly an intern, you are not covered by those particular wage and hour laws and the various minimum hour and uh, overtime compensation rules won't apply to you. So the issue becomes when we're talking about summer interns, are you truly an intern or are you more akin to an employee to whom we have to give pay? Well, just this past January 5th, 2018, the United States Department of Labor changed course a little bit on its prior standard to determine whether someone is truly an intern who does not have to be paid or, alternatively, is an employee who does have to be paid. The Department of Labor's uh, former test was very rigid. It had six factors, each of which had to be met in order for someone to be properly considered an intern. Again, it's important to keep in mind, the former test was a six-factor test, but every one of the six factors had to be met in order for someone to be properly classified as an intern. 
the rule got eroded a little bit over time, particularly recently, as we had several appellate courts around the country reject the Department of Labor's rigid rule. These courts found that the Department of Labor's rule didn't really quite mesh with the otherwise broad definition of the term employment in the FLSA itself. And so what we've ended up dealing with is the rigid FLSA test, but then some much more uh, broad, much more flexible test that had been articulated by appellate courts. Well, the Department of Labor changed its rule, as I just said, on January 5th. Its new rule is referred to as the primary beneficiary rule. Even though it identifies seven factors as opposed to the old six-factor rule, this primary beneficiary test is much more flexible because the seven factors are now supposed to be weighed and analyzed on a case-by-case -case basis. You don't have to have all seven factors come out a certain way in order for someone to either be properly classified as an intern or be truly considered an employee. You're going to look at all seven factors, you're going to weigh them, you're going to analyze them on a case-by-case -case basis and see which way they favor. All seven factors now provide a way of answering what the ultimate question is under this Department of Labor rule. And that question simply is, who is the primary beneficiary of the internship? Who benefits the most? Is it the intern, the individual, him or herself, or is it the company? If it's the intern who is the primary beneficiary, then we can properly classify that individual as an intern, and the intern does not have to be paid. If, however, we find after analyzing all of these factors that the company is the primary beneficiary of this internship program, well, then the individual is really an employee, and that employee needs to be paid uh, like other employees do. So now with this new rule, you have a little bit more consistency with case law that has developed, and certainly you have a lot more flexibility both for businesses as well as Department of Labor investigators who are looking at these issues. So there's a lot of discussion that you've probably been hearing. There's a lot of things you've been reading about. Uh, I was very fortunate to have been asked to speak on this issue. Uh, the Wharton Business Channel uh, on Sirius XM Satellite Radio, I don't know if any of you listened to that. I did publish an episode last year in 2017 where I was interviewed on that business channel, and they were um, really nice enough to invite me back on. Uh, this time to talk with another expert on the issue from the University of Pennsylvania. Her name is Iona Elena Marinescu, who is the Assistant Professor of Economics at the University of Pennsylvania. And she and I were both interviewed by the Wharton Business Channel on this issue of summer internships, the new federal rule, uh, and what the potential impacts are to companies. Take a listen. This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. The term intern is one that has drawn a lot of discussion over the last several years. It is generally associated with someone in college and working during a specific period of time with a company as a way to gain experience. But over time, companies starting offering quote-unquote internships to people just out of college, and they would be paid a very low wage or not paid at all. It was a way to let a person get started in their career. Uh, a few years ago, a court case decided that if someone was doing the work of a regular employee, 
that they couldn't be called an intern and they had to be paid. Now the Labor Department has relaxed those rules a bit and therefore is allowing the unpaid internship to return. To discuss this change, we are joined on the phone by Michael Schmidt, who is a labor and employment attorney with the firm of Cozen O'Connor. And also joining us is Ioana Marinescu, who is an associate, excuse me, an assistant professor of economics here at the University of Pennsylvania. She's also a member of the Wharton Public Policy Initiative and a faculty research fellow at the National Bureau of Economic Research. Ioana, nice meeting you. Thank you for joining us here. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Michael, thank you for your time today. Uh, thanks for having me. So, Michael, what was your reaction? Uh, to this decision, and I guess if you can, kind of give us a little bit of a background uh, of why the change was was first brought to the forefront in, to begin with. Well, sure. So it's it's really an important issue, particularly this time of year when companies are looking to start their summer internship programs. Um, and as we've all seen and read, when it comes to wage and hour issues, whether you need to be paying minimum wage, whether you need to be paying overtime, uh, we're seeing a lot of class actions, a lot of lawsuits filed over the past, really, decades. Uh, so this is at the forefront of companies' minds. And the issue, uh, in a nutshell, was whether interns um, can be unpaid interns or whether they have to be paid and be subject to the requirements under these wage and hour laws. Um, in prior years, the Department of Labor, like so many other employment law issues, has taken a very, what I'd call, a pro-employee stance um, and held that there was this uh, six-factor test and by default, all interns were employees unless the employer was able to prove the existence of all six factors in this test. Uh, Fast-forwarding now to 2018, like so much of what we're seeing with the Department of Labor and the Republican-led uh, Washington, D.C., there's a much more relaxed standard that this Trump administration Department of Labor uh, is giving us, and it's a more flexible standard for determining whether someone can be a paid intern or an unpaid intern. You want to give us your reaction to this? Uh, this is very interesting, and you know, I want to relate back to this to economic research. Why do people do internships? There's yeah. a number of reasons, and the Department of Labor has focused on the learning for the student, and that's an important component of it. But right. there are two other reasons why people might do internships. One is it's a screening device, so that can allow them to prove that they're competent in order to get a job afterwards. Right. So that's one reason. And the other one is what we call signaling, meaning that having done the internship can look good on your CV and improve your opportunities afterwards. And in fact, research shows that people who don't get those opportunities early on, whose experience is unknown, whose quality is unknown, have more trouble finding work. And so in that sense, the internships can play an important role. But, you know, that's where the regulation has to strike a balance between potential employer abuses and the positive role that it can play for uh, students. Now, the Joanna makes, yep. oh, I'm sorry, I, I was just going to add, Joanna makes a, a great point there. And part of the problem, I think, is that while there's no question that you, you want to rid um, society of wage and hour abuses um, in particular workplaces, the problem that we were starting to see when you had such a strict 
rule that the Department of Labor was enforcing is that there was this disincentive and it became counterproductive because companies were less willing to offer these internships and, yeah. uh, and, and interns were not getting the benefits that Joanna just uh, mentioned. But the learning part of it, I think, is the key component here because when you're talking about somebody that is taking a quote-unquote internship, the idea they have is they believe this is an industry or a company that they want to pursue as a career once they graduate. Right. What you end up having in some cases is these people basically being the the old-fashioned gopher, you exactly. know, just doing any basic menial right. task, which would be a paid job, but companies were throwing it into the realm of an internship and making right. it an unpaid position. Right. That's so exactly this, distinct, right. this distinction is very important, and that's why we have regulation, because in principle, the employers, again, could abuse the system. And again, back to economics, why would that happen? Right. Well, it's all back to supply and demand. When there are too many workers chasing too few job opportunities in certain particular you know, sectors of the right. economy, like fashion magazines, let's say, would be an example, then, of course, there's a lot of incentives for companies to use those internships, perhaps not as a learning opportunity, but almost like a regular job. And so, you know, again, it's a balance to strike between the fact that internships uh, provide valuable opportunities yeah. for students and, you know, not having employers, you know, necessarily abuse the system. Though, again, abuse is a relative term because yeah. sometimes it's driven by the economic situation, the fact that in some sectors there might be too many people chasing too few jobs. Michael? And that's, and that's what the Department of Labor has now recognized. So the bottom line, I think, is that instead of having this bright line, you know, really strict rule that, that had a high threshold for employers to get uh, out from under, the, we're going to recognize the economic reality. We're going to recognize that there may be differences sector to sector, even company to company within sectors, and have a much more flexible rule. So right. as long as we can show that the individuals, the interns, were the quote-unquote primary beneficiary yeah. of this internship program, we're going to allow some more flexibility. We're going to recognize differences between companies and sectors and make it easier for companies to show that these individuals are interns and thereby increasing perhaps the number of internship opportunities that there will be uh, uh, out there. Well, Michael, I, I can throw a little first-hand experience on this. Going back a few years before I was working in this part of radio, I, I worked in minor league baseball. And minor league baseball is something that, that so many college students who, who graduate, who have sports business degrees, want to get into. And they're looking to do anything to be able to get into it. And they're willing to move halfway across the country for a quote-unquote internship where they may get paid $800 a month during the baseball season, but they understand that they're working day-to-day -day in the industry, and they're getting a better understanding of what the actual business behind baseball is. That's a key distinction, and I know there are a few teams, in, especially in New Jersey, who, when the changes were made a couple of years ago, basically got rid of them because they understood that they were going to be in a legal pinch. That's a great point. And, and I think like so many other issues when it comes to employment law, I say all the time, if, if it looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it, it tends to be a duck. And, and we're far beyond the scope of this when you're talking about independent contractors and other right. types of wage and hour issues. But, but on this, 
you know, you can throw away the extreme sides where you have the, the real clear abuse on one side and you have, you know, the obvious other extreme where we now are in the middle of this spectrum. Is this flexible test? And to your original question, why are we seeing this now? I think it's in part because we've got this Republican-led uh, Department of Labor, but it's also this new flexible primary beneficiary test is one that's been adapted uh, in a lot of courts uh, over the past couple of years in particular. And what you're seeing is uh, an avoidance of having different standards uh, from the agency standpoint and what parties are dealing with in the court system. The Department of Labor is trying to recognize what test the courts have been using and let's adopt something closer to a more uniform test. Right. So I want to get back to this primary beneficiary test to uh, help our listeners understand some of the economics be behind that. So as I mentioned earlier, one of the reasons to have internships is for workers to learn, you know, interns to learn something. An important distinction, though, is are they learning something that is general and could apply potentially beyond this company or are they learning something that essentially, you know, is only applicable at that company? So right. we make this distinction between general and specific human capital. And so that's important because what if what they're doing doesn't really extrapolate to any other company, yeah. then it, clearly it's more likely to just benefit the company because they need someone doing that and not uh, the intern, for example. So that's one uh, interesting economic aspect to keep in mind. Well, let me ask you this then, fr from the perspective of, of doing an internship, I mean, when you're somebody, when you think about the, the college experience, when you're somebody that is a sophomore or a junior in college, Uh, and you know that you're coming back, you have to you know, go back and complete your degree. Obviously, you can do an internship and build a relationship with a company where they may basically say, hey, listen, we, you were so good. When you get done in two years, we want to bring you on as a full-time employee. That probably doesn't happen enough in, in, in the real world, correct? So actually, that's not so uncommon. I can tell you that okay. for our students at the uh, School of Social Policy and Practice here, this is fairly common that they have to do an internship as part of the curriculum and a pretty large number of them get uh, jobs with those companies when they graduate. Okay. And so it's actually not uncommon, but in that case, uh, the internship plays the role of screening in right. the sense that it's the employer and to some degree the employee learning, is this a good fit for me? Is this company a good match for me? Right. And that's something that is very valuable, but I don't think is explicitly recognized in the enforcement uh, guidelines you know, by the Department of Labor, which mostly focusing on focuses on the learning experience, as in your learning something about the industry or the job uh, that might be more broadly applicable. Michael? You know, the, the, the test does not say, and let's be clear about this also, the test does not say that the employer cannot get anything out of this relationship. Um, as Ioana just said, um, you know, the, the company is also gaining from this because uh, the company is gaining some knowledge about the individual. Is this a person who we see as a, a future employee, as a future leader in this company? So there is something to be gained. I don't want people out there to think that the company uh, is not entitled to quote-unquote gain something. But this right. does have to be one where the individual is the primary beneficiary. There is this educational component. There is this aspect that I'm learning something about the industry, about this company, about the skills I need, um, about future opportunities. 
And, you know, if you really want to break this down into a non-legal kind of nutshell, um, if this is just an individual who the company is trying to take advantage of by solely getting coffee, solely going to the cleaners or making copies <laughs> so that it can pay fewer people to do those as regular employees, there's going to be a problem. If we have something that does have an educational component that is tied to the, the individual's um, course of study at school um, and future uh, opportunities to become an employee in that particular business or entity, uh, it's going to be more likely that you'll be able to show that that individual was the primary beneficiary over the relationship. So I want to add something here, you know, based on prior research, how can the individual be a beneficiary? One interesting way is, as I said, f future opportunities, and like you said as well, and where that plays in is in terms of the feedback that the company gives you right. after the internship. Right. So basically, you know, research has shown that just having a line on your resume might not be enough. What's important is to be able to get positive feedback. And so one way how employers can demonstrate that uh, they are benefiting the intern, at least from an economic perspective, is to say, we'll provide, you know, a letter of recommendation, a kind of sure. feedback yeah. that then clearly can benefit the intern, you know, for future employment opportunities. I, I would think, Michael, that I I when you talk about the, the, the kind of the nature of, of business and who they're looking to hire these days, and we've talked about how HR is, is really now looking more for that fit of person. When you have somebody that is on an intern, and, and as you want to mention, that screening part ends up becoming a vital piece for the HR department, and whether it is implied or intended or not, it does end up becoming a cost savings for the company if you've made that connection in advance, and then there's a benefit, obviously, down the road. And there's no question, and that's what I meant when I said that you, that you can't look at this as the company not being entitled to gain any benefit sure, from right. the relationship. Right. Um, but to your point, uh, I think the screening aspect is certainly critical, but, but just as critical, if not even more critical, is what happens after the screening, what happens when the intern is brought in. Right. It shouldn't just be a situation where you bring them in, congratulations, you're here, <laughs> and then you know, we, the HR or, or various other people who are dedicated to the internship program just disappear. How how often do you think, though, that, that you are still seeing today that case of whoever that quote-unquote intern is, is just a gopher? How, how frequent do you think that is in this day and age, especially with how companies are more, more worried about making sure they have the right people working there and wanting to keep those people working there for a longer period of time now that the recession is starting to put away and more people are, are, are willing to think about jumping from company to company? So, I think you're still seeing a good amount of that, and it's yeah. probably, you know, for two reasons. One, uh, a lack of knowledge and education. Uh, right. I, I'm not going to presume that every company out there is, is looking to take advantage of and abuse interns. Um, I think part of it is they just don't necessarily know the rules and, and know what the requirements are. Um, the other part of it may be as well when you have smaller companies or companies where the particular subject matter, the particular work to be done is extremely fast-paced and, and they don't feel that they have the time to have a structure or the resources to, to dedicate people to a structure. So you're still having problems out there, I think, for, for a combination of both of those reasons. You so I want to get back to the issue of having a team there or someone who's dedicated to the internship program because, as I was saying before, you, you know, we got back to the screening 
but it's the screening you have to see is not just for that company, but you can see the screening as a screening of the intern for the market. And so being right. able to provide a recommendation will put the intern in a better position, not just for that company, but for the market. And so if they don't have in place a system that, for example, will provide good quality recommendations, that's less of a benefit uh, for the intern. It's a great point. I, I agree completely. 844-WHARTON is the number to give us a call. 844-942-7866. For those of you out there with interns, some good insight and an opportunity to ask questions right now. 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. So then when you think about the change in, in general by the Labor Department here, you want to is this is this a good move? Is it a bad move? Or is it a still-to-be-determined type of move? So I think it has to be determined. As usual in economics, it's a matter of cost and benefit. And again, the problem is if you regulate internships too strongly, some of the benefits to interns are lost. Right. But on the other hand, there's less abuses, quote-unquote, from companies. So finding that balance is hard and I think it's good to experiment with various regimes and then we, we can perhaps study and see what the consequences were and you know like you were saying how many interns are really not doing anything that right. is truly beneficial to them under these various regimes. Michael? I think overall it's a good thing but I, I do agree that we probably need some time to, to see how this develops um, on the one hand it's good again because it, it tends to recognize more of a flexible case by case approach as opposed to a strict, really, you're an employee by default kind of rule. Um, but like everything else in employment law, the flip side is there still is no definitive answer. Um, employers will have a lesser burden, I think, now. Um, but the new Federal Department of Labor rule uh, makes it a little bit easier to look at these things on a case-by-case basis. The, the one other thing that I would just like to add, and I think it's critical for people out there to understand, and I say this also with so many employment law issues, don't just get caught up with the federal aspect of this. You know, okay. we're talking this half hour about the United States Department of Labor and their new rule. States and other local municipalities also may have their own rules. So, for example, in New York, where I am, uh, New York State Department of Labor has an 11-factor rule, uh, which has been around for some time and has not changed. So while employers in particular may get all excited uh, on this and other issues because we've got Republicans leading the, uh, the Washington fight and we're having more relaxed rules, Rules. Mm-hmm. Don't forget that state and local rules and laws still apply to these issues, and you should be consulting them as well. An eleven-factor rule in New York State. An eleven-factor rule. How, how challenging was that? Uh, it's it's challenging, particularly for those employers who uh, go into this not knowing about it. 844-WHARTON is the number to give us a call. 844-942-7866. Or if you can't get your phone, you can send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio111, B-I-Z Radio 111, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. We go to Portland, Oregon. Isaac is on the line. Isaac, go ahead. Yes, good morning. Um, uh, I used to uh, uh, run the internship program for a, um, a company in the athletic wear industry. And uh, many of the jobs are hard to fill, particularly uh, designers and so forth. We started their internship program, and, um, well, actually the CEO said, here, you've got the internship program and no budget. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, I had a couple, uh, from the beginning. One is that only my best managers got interns. Um, and two... 
uh, every manager had to structure, uh, with our help, a contract that permitted each intern, in addition to being paid, to get academic credit at their college or university. Um, it, it's a two-way street, and uh, we brought back interns two, sometimes three years, but these were the best of the best, and not everybody was uh, capable of doing that. So we had a pretty high bar, right. but um, you know, great managers make great internships. And uh, as the uh, staffing director, I had a vested interest in seeing that we kept the best students. That's uh, that, that's really such a great point, and, and he raises a critical point too. And that is, you can have your HR folks, your executives, uh, your senior people at any company buy into this and draft the greatest of agreements and greatest of policies. But unless your managers and supervisors, the people who are in the trenches day to day with the interns, with the employees, don't understand what the rules are and don't buy into this, uh, it doesn't matter what you have on a sheet of paper. Great comment, uh, Isaac. Thank you very much for the call. Actually, a comment from Twitter as well uh, says, don't forget about having to pay for health care, too, which is a factor, uh, Michael, in terms of, of somebody being an employee or being an intern. There's no question. It's about uh, the wages aspect of it, that uh, if they are employees, you'll have to comply with the rules, but also the other things that go along with being an employee, like benefits as well. Luana? That's right. So, of course, that adds to the cost uh, for the company if they have to uh, cover benefits. But I really like the question before that, or, you know, the, the comment that was made about the, give, it the, give the interns to good managers, yeah. because that creates an internal incentive in the company for the interns to be well-placed, because I suppose managers like to get some help. And so if you can get more help by being a good manager, you know, that's kind of good for everyone. The interns get, you know, supervised by good people, and then the the managers have an incentive to keep being good so they can get more help. Well, so what about the role that, that the college or the university needs to play in this process as well? In terms of, obviously, you have a, a student who wants to work for a particular company, but the college or university wants to make sure that that is the right spot for that individual to be able to learn and, and benefit from it. Joanna? Right. So that's where the career counselors and you know the various services in the university step in, and there is learning there, too, because the universities can learn from the experience of prior interns in, with this company, if there have been any, and be able to advise on new generations of students about, you know, whether this might be a good fit for them or not. And by the way, that's the way how, you know, if it's well established, if a company consistently, you know, doesn't provide a good experience for interns, uh, presumably they're going to get sent fewer interns uh, by yeah. the university. Michael? Yes, I, uh, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think there's got to be buy-in from the uh, school side as well uh, in terms of being able to help students understand what opportunities are out there uh, and perhaps tie in some specific curriculum uh, through an internship-related course where employees can come back, um, report back, and, and show how what they're applying and what they're learning on these internships is something that can help uh, in their regular curriculum and perhaps down the road. Is this... And one of the things that this administration has talked about was was continuing to build the jobs numbers in, in this country. By doing this, are they in a roundabout way, Michael, 
you know, trying to spur job growth with some companies? I mean, obviously, opening the door for internships, as we've just kind of said, does potentially open the door for somebody to get a job with that company down the road. No question about it. The more that you are giving people uh, younger and older, it's, this is not just a young student issue, but, uh, you know, as we're, our workforce is getting older, you can have senior interns as well. But the more that you are building and developing skills um, of a unique nature for a company, for an industry, certainly they become much more productive down the road for that company or for right. some other company in the industry. Michael, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for Thank having you. me. Thank you. great meeting you. Thank you for coming Thanks. in. Thank you very much. Michael Schmidt from the firm of uh, Cozen O'Connor and Ioana Marinescu, who is uh, with the University of Pennsylvania as a, an assistant professor of economics, also a member of the Wharton Public Policy Initiative. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. I hope you found that interesting. I hope you found that useful. Again, you are well ahead of the summer of 2018, so now you have a lot of information, a lot of things that you can bring back to your companies as you continue to plan for whatever internship programs your company will be having. And don't forget, because I highlight this all the time on episodes, and I mentioned it in the Wharton interview as well, don't get too caught up on what the federal rules are, what the federal standards are, and ignore to your detriment, what the state and local governments have to say on these issues. Because again, in a place like New York and various other states as well, it's one thing to say that the Department of Labor on the federal side has relaxed the internship rule, but you have a real significant standard still applying in New York State and many other uh, state and local jurisdictions. That's all the time we have for today. I hope you have a terrific President's Day for those who are actually listening today. Um, And for those of you who are not, have a great day, whatever day it is. Until the next time, I hope all of your labor is productive.